Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend, my partner in radio, Ronald J. Martin. Baby, just you and me today. Baby, I'm here. I'm uh, here for it. We're yeah, we're uh, we're limping along on this program, man. Uh, with with all the summer travel and just the important glamorous people that we have in this program who are in demand all over the world, uh, it's hard to get us all in the studio at the same time. But yet here we are. Uh, here we are doing radio for the people, baby. Um, is it lucrative for us? Eh, not really. It used to be. Um, then we made some changes, and now it's less lucrative. But uh, Baby, nevertheless, here we are uh, doing some radio on a Wednesday morning, and I'm going to take a break for this super lucrative ad break, all right? You're going to hear about, I don't know, Home Depot or Arby's or um, any number of things, and we'll be right back. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with Viking King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. All right, baby, we're back. Um, full disclosure, I want to be honest with the people. Yeah, okay? absolutely. Uh, we have not thought for one second about what to talk about. Uh, but I, I have a, a new thing that I'm watching that I want to run by you. I want to see if you've watched it. Um, we're watching this food kind of documentary docu-series on Netflix. Um, John Favreau's involved in it. It's called The Chef Show. Yeah. Have you seen The Chef Show? I have. It's fun, dude. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, he's uh, who's his, who's kind of his, his main sidekick? Is it David Chang? Main sidekick? No, it's not David Chang. No. Um, okay. Yeah, but I, I knew who you were talking about, and it's fun. And they they kind of meet up with celebrities slash celebrity chefs, yeah, and they yeah. make recipes. And it's so I loved the movie Chef. Let's start there. Where were you at in the movie Chef? Um. Yeah. I. I mean, it was a. It's. It's obviously a late period. Favreau piece, you know, because he doesn't really mm -hmm. act anymore. Um, so yeah. I, I liked, um, I dug the, I, I kind of dug the prem. It was kind of, it was a little too depresso for me, you know, given his life. But um, I, uh, it was kind of one wait, of those wait, wait. movies that didn't make me feel good, you know, because it, his life looked felt depressing. But um, dude, stop, stop there. Actually, you found Chef to be depresso. Well, just because you know the relationship, I did, wasn't he wasn't he what isn't his his relationships all fractured and falling apart? Yeah, and, yeah, so yeah. He was separated or divorced from the you know the lady, and then and you know he had 
got to see his kid once in a while or whatever. Yeah, so, so yeah. yeah, that kind of put it. That just was like, oh, he's one of these guys, and he's just kind of running, running after something, and it's yes, I, you know. Yeah. So for that, I don't know. It's it's uh, it uh, I, I mean, he's essentially what we would be without Christ, yeah. probably <laughs> personality wise, basically. You know? Yeah. So I don't know. That was yeah. that put kind of a bit of a Debbie on it for me, but then um, yeah. So, but yeah, but I I love I thought. I thought, um, like, he's super convincing as a chef, though, isn't he? Yeah, so he he got super into the food thing for that movie, and apparently is, like, in real life really passionate about it. Yeah. And was passionate about wanting to make the kitchen scenes authentic and wanting to do it well and, and you know, then just sort of acquired a, a love for it in real life. And, um, yeah, I loved it. I, I thought it was, it's on my Mount Rushmore of food movies for sure. Do you have a food movie Rushmore? Do you have like uh, go to food movies? Oh man, yeah, I love food. Mo- I actually I love food yeah. movies not as not just not as much as sports movies, Ob. But uh, I well, yeah, yeah. I do same. love I do love food. I mean, you know, I mean, not to be a little too basic here, but I loved Julie and Julia. You know, back, back oh, when yeah. that came out fifteen years ago, whenever that was a while ago. But dude, um, that's a fun time. I love that man. movie. Yeah, I just I love yeah. stuff like that. I'm trying refresh my memory about some food movies. What what do you got? Dude, okay, so I'll I'll talk you through my food movie Rushmore, okay. which uh I don't have written down and I'll be doing from memory. But uh Julie and Julia is a fun time, dude. Uh that was like early career Amy Adams. Yeah, 100%. That was before she started doing like only weird arty stuff yeah. and she was still kind of doing fun movies. That was that was a really good role for her. Um yeah, we enjoyed it. That had a little bit of France in it, which we love. So it kind of it kind of works as a travel movie and a food movie. Um, I have one weird thing on that movie, and I want to know if you if you noticed it, and then I'll move on to some others. Her boyfriend in that film, and I forget the I forget the actor's name. He's like a movie that guy. Um, he chewed with his mouth open for the duration of the movie, <laughs> and it, it's so true. And dude, it drove us absolutely insane. It was disgusting. And uh, in fact, whenever we see him in in a movie now, we call him the masticator because he he just masticates with his mouth open. It's disgusting. Yeah, I think Uh, it's so funny you say that, T. I remember that. And I remember thinking, oh, they're just trying to show like, you know, they're just throwing food, you know, in their mouth. and They're trying to keep it like really casual and loose, like how this is how it would be. If your yeah. if your girlfriend, wife, whatever she was, was was cooking this amazing food and you were just yeah, blown yeah. away by it, I think they're trying to yeah. keep it real. But yeah, it was really interesting, huh? Dude, I have another weird thing in that movie. Um, so that movie kind of did the the New York apartment thing, yeah, but yeah. they tried real hard not to glamorize it, right? So they were out in like you know the the seventh layer, the seventh level of like Queens in some a very non sexy apartment. Did you ever like? Even for a minute in your 20s, entertain the maybe we should live in New York thing. Did you ever have that minute of like fantasizing in your life? You know, what's weird. Like there would be when I was out on the road, because I was out on the road a lot in my 20s, you know, my my early 20s to my mid 30s, the majority of that road time. And so, yeah, whenever we would play in a city and we would, you know, sometimes we would we would visit a friend who had an apartment, you know, downtown. Yeah. And there would be like there would be an appeal because what I liked about it was that they they lived their whole life within a few blocks and they sure. had sort of this community yeah. and they could walk to things. And so when you live in like when you live in if you live the suburban life, like you you don't do you drive everywhere. You yeah, don't yeah. you don't live that life. So that was kind of romantic to me. But I'll tell you, I, I mean, not to pivot too hard on this, but I uh, yeah. 
the life the life that always was just fascinating to me is the life that i eventually got to which was small town life that just yeah, that yeah. just absolutely fascinated me and so i eventually yeah. got to do that but um but yeah but i'll say this dude like i would say within the last like maybe 10 years as i've spent more times more time in cities like that yeah. there, there's a part of that that feels really appealing to me i got to be honest yeah, no, we've always, Kiki and I have always talked about empty nesting in a city. Really? Like, yeah. Relocating what, down the road? With, yeah. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. And dude, I love the house I'm in now, and I love the community I'm in now. And I and, and realistically, I wouldn't leave it. Like, I would be an idiot to leave the church that I'm in now. And so this won't happen. But, like, even just for a season or for, like, a sabbatical, like, doing... Doing some empty nest time in a city, I yeah. think, would be dope. Because we we have the same feelings. Like whenever we travel to a big city, we're always like, "Oh, we could," especially without kids. Like we could do this, and we we could really have some fun with it, and you know, en- enjoy that aspect of life. But is uh, there like a uh, is there like a city section to to where you're living that you could like do that in even locally? No, I mean, our town is like it's kind of small okay, town, so, right? Or no? Yeah, it it, it so we're in. We live in Humble, which is legitimately a small town. Oh, okay. So, like, way smaller than Ashland. Is it really called then, Humble? That's amazing. It's called Humboldt. H-U-M-V-O-L-D-T. <laughs> you were saying it's called Humble. I'm like, wow, that's that's really no, saying no. something about yourself, you know? Yeah, yeah, it really is. But, no, we're, we're in Humboldt. And then, yeah, like, I have, like, a 12-minute commute to Jackson, which is where the university is. And Jackson, I would say, is a smidge bigger than Ashland, but not that much. It's sort of, like wants to think of itself as a city and we have like just enough insufferable hipster population downtown to like they're they're constantly like trying to bring in city stuff and make it work but it's not it 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 wouldn't work for like engaging that fantasy you know gotcha. i'd have to move okay as far as doing it close by it would have to be memphis because i just wouldn't do the nashville thing i low-key hate nashville but uh yeah shout no, out nashville no that makes our, a lot of sense to me I'm, I'm not allowed yeah. i'm not allowed to like nashville because Growing up in in sort of the subversive music scenes, I was in Nashville was the enemy. So yeah, it was, sure. it was the thing yeah. to avoid, and 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 you know, because there's that there is a vibe to Nashville, like all the people. There's definitely well, a vibe I mean, to even Nashville. the people that think they're hipsters and cool in Nashville, they they have sort of this veneer to them where you just kind of go, oh, okay, you know. yeah. I know no, totally I'm broad brushing everything now, but you know what I mean. Yeah, we're broad brushing. We're offending all of our audience, 100%. Many, many of whom live in Nashville. But uh, but you know, Nashville's great though, great place. Nashville's great place. oh, <laughs> Nashville's amazing. Nashville's a it's a good food town. I will give it. It's that. a fun and, town. Uh, I mean, it's I think it's a super fun town to go yeah. hang out. I mean, I, I dig it. I dig it a lot. You know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, let's get back to our Rushmore food movies. Yeah, throw it out um, there. I want to I want to talk more about Chef. We'll get back to it. But next on the Rushmore for me is a movie that you would love, dude. Okay. And maybe you've seen it. It's called The Big Night. Have you seen The Big Night? Oh. Uh, yeah, what it would we'll describe it real quick, dude. So it probably came out in the early 90s, and I think without looking, and again, we had no idea what we were talking about going into this program. It's young Stanley Tucci and somebody else. Um, and the premise is they they have this struggling like Italian restaurant. And- oh, I have seen it. I yes I have I love it I I just the name didn't like register with me totally have seen it yeah so like yeah. young Tucci is in it many drivers in it Ian Holm yep. from Chariots of Fire is in it it's awesome dude and Tony Shalhoub who was in that TV show from the nineties and it's this lush 
Italian food movie where they make this big meal because someone under false pretenses has told them that like the Frank Sinatra figure of the world of the movie is going to be there. And that's going to like revive their business when they get all the media of this Sinatra-esque character being there. So they make this like massive lavish meal and they end up essentially just serving it to their friends because, of course, the guy never shows. <laughs> that's, and right. They, that's right. The dude, the main guy that they're going through all this trouble with doesn't end up showing up. Yeah. Yes, the main guy doesn't end up showing, but they make this big, lavish, lush meal. And it's kind of this commentary on, like, you know, food brings people together. Yep. And food for food's sake is worth it. And they're craftsmen and they do this amazing work. And even if like the world at large doesn't celebrate it, like it's still worth celebrating. And it's such a fun movie. Baby, my favorite, my favorite part. Can I tell you my favorite? Yeah, yeah. My favorite scene is, and I have a favorite part. My favorite scene is at the very end after they have the big night and they both wake up and they're. You can tell they're burnt out. They're they're tired. They're feeling a little depressed. It was overwhelming. The dude never showed up. And he just yeah. very quietly like scrambles up some eggs. They grab a big loaf of bread and they just sit there and eat their eggs. Like the most, the most simple thing. They, they created this elaborate yes. meal and they're just enjoying like the most simple breakfast, eggs and bread in the morning, just kind of looking at each other. And that's how they finish up the film, if I, if I remember correctly. Gosh, dang it, dude. That's my favorite scene, too. <laughs> and it, I, dude, I love it because it has that like... I'm sure you got this way after shows and I got this way like after football games where like you're so spent and you've just like emptied yourself yep. and you've got nothing left. And like whoever you're with, you just kind of take in that moment together and whatever, the, whatever there is to eat, like you enjoy it, you savor it. And, and that was the vibe. And, and actually that scene, so they, they actually made an omelet and I watched that film again. I think I watched it for a second time, like during COVID and I had nothing but time, of course. So I did like a summer of omelets. Yeah. Where I started like oiling the pan before the omelet. Oh, yeah. And and salting the pan like they did in that movie. Yeah. So they would put down a layer of oil, then they would salt the pan, and then they would make this, yeah, this really simple omelet with like kind of a golden brown shell and a, like a really chewy interior. And it just delighted me to make these omelets, dude. So epic, and yeah. And... I love that movie. I love the movie, The Big Night. It's a great it's movie. Definitely. I got to watch it again. You inspired me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it again. It's been a long time. Dude, I'm yeah. going to watch it again, too. I, I Yeah, I great enjoy it Great summer movie. Much. Great summer movie. It's a, Yeah, it's a great summer movie because they're... I don't know where they even are. I don't even know if they say it, but I, I think they're on, like, the Jersey Shore or somewhere in, like, the late 1940s, early 1950s. Um, there's a bunch of 90s people in the movie. Like very quintessentially '90s people. It's a it's a fun watch, dude. For sure, yeah, hundred percent. So, Chef is a Rushmore food movie for me. Um, let's talk about Chef. I want to talk about some of the things I love about it. I love his chef's knife tattoo on his forearm. I don't know if you remember that. Um, um I don't. I don't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a fun time, dude. I love the like the sidekick figure. So the Leguizamo figure. Um, and then the, like the tall Italian guy who plays the sous chef, he's in everything too. He's a, that guy. Um, I got to pull up the, I got to pull up the cast. So I know what I'm talking about here. Uh, but I, I love those guys. I love their banter. I think they could have worked Vince Vaughn into the movie for a minute. Uh, I think that would have been a nice time. Yeah, that would have been, I would have loved if he would have done that. Dude, I love the, the Robert Downey Jr. scenes. He's in the movie for like five minutes. Uh, he's the guy that gives yep. 
Favreau the food truck. Yeah. And he plays kind of like the confident douche. And, you know, he's successful. You mean Robert Downey Jr. in every movie he's ever played? Is that what you mean? Yeah, he's he's great at that, though. (laughs) But he's a... Let's go granular on this for a second. He's a different kind of confident douche than Vince Vaughn. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, they're... No, I know what you're you're driving at. Yeah, they're completely... They... they Vaughn is like he's he's not I, can't, I don't even know if I've described him like that even though I don't disagree with how you described him right I they're yeah because he's not Vaughn is not like you know Vaughn was not quarter you know uh, you know star quarterback that's how you look at Robert right. Downey Jr. you know like he's he's that right, guy right. right he he's the prom king he's yeah. the prom king yeah. that was not Vaughn Vaughn was more of like the Vaughn was more of like the the comedy guy that was good looking enough for a lot of the ladies to like you know yeah for sure dude I got another one for you from Chef. I love the dynamic between Dustin Hoffman's character, who's the owner of the oh, restaurant, right. and and Favreau, yeah, because it's it's very emblematic of this like artist patron relationship. So whether you make a record with a record label or you write a book for a book publisher, there's always this dynamic of like they own the product, so ultimately they get to call the shots. But like you have a better vision of what it is that you want to do and again he was probably only on screen for less than 10 minutes but i i feel like his scenes really popped yeah um i forgot about his character man it was such a weird role for him in some ways because it, it was so small do, you know but dude where are you out on dustin hoffman yeah i'm a fan i love him yeah i love yeah him too. i loved him in that i loved him in stranger than fiction kind of playing the the college professor version of the same character yeah, he's uh, a, really uh, fun, really fun actor. What was your favorite food moment in Chef? Um, I'm trying, I'm trying to, th- you know, I what I love about any cooking show is if they get, if they kind of drop down into some actual cooking, and I think, yeah. uh, and I think with, uh, I think with Fav, I think he had enough of those moments where he was frantic. I loved it when he was frantically trying to do these dishes. To kind of gain yeah, back yeah. his confidence and get get his rhythm back, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah. um, and so, I I loved it when they would actually show him in the kitchen, starting to like, you know, mix things and unpack things and put things together. There's just something. Um, there, I what I love about food movies or food shows in general is that um, it's easy watching. You can have a dialogue yeah. with the person you're watching with because there's there's nothing going on. There's not a lot of dialogue. Yeah, sure. And I, I love that it just inspires me to want to eat. And I know that sounds crazy, but like, I like that. Yeah. I, I, I like, no, I like that too. I like kind of like it, it like, I, I love sort of like gaining an appetite, working up an appetite by, by watching a food movie is awesome to me. You know? Well, yeah, it is, dude. And it always delivers. So let's do this. Actually, I want to talk about a, a last chef thing. I want to talk about my favorite food moment in chef. And there were many. Uh, then we'll take a break and then we'll do the fourth movie on my on my food rush more. My favorite food moment, dude, was after after everything kind of comes crumbling down and they get the bad review and he he goes after the reviewer in the restaurant. What did you think of that, dude? Because so you you came up doing records back when reviews probably mattered and I came up doing books I, I caught like the last gasp of like traditional book publishing where like you would get reviewed in papers. Right, right. And like right. the pub the the publicist would send you like a envelope full of review clippings, like in hard copy form. Yeah, they didn't all and just so, exist on Amazon, right? Yeah, they didn't all just exist on Amazon. So it was like the real book publishing industry and the real record industry for you 
What was your relationship with critics? And did it resonate with you when Favs like went after the critic in the in the restaurant scene? You know, I I always think that you got to play it a little cool with that. I, I'm not saying I always did. Um, there was yeah. one. I, I remember there was only one time. It was um, I think it was the first review, one of the first reviews I ever got. And it just it, this guy just he was he was a pretty important you know critic, and he. Yeah, he tanked my record, and I think it actually deserved it, right? But I, it was mm-hmm. the way he did it that I didn't like. So I, I, yeah. I actually, yeah. I actually contacted him. I said, "Man, I just don't think you needed to. I didn't think you needed to have that tone. I wish I wouldn't have done it." And we since made up yeah. and apologized. He's a great guy, and um, uh-huh. but I, I, I think I caught, I caught myself um, doing yeah. that, and I, and I never did it again. And so I just, I just yeah. embraced it. But I just didn't want to be the guy that was like, "How dare you not like my work?" Because it's hypocritical, right? Because there's a ton of work I don't like that I'll be real honest yeah. about. And so I just, sure. I just switched it in my mind to say, Hey, you know, because also yeah. logically, like I, the reviews don't really matter. Like it doesn't No. people that like your stuff, yeah. like your stuff. They're, they're, they're not really, I don't know. Right. You know, I mean, I've had, a, I don't know. You tell me this. I have yeah. read some reviews on things that I didn't, I hadn't yet embraced and had thought yeah. about and reading about it made me want to check it out. So that like a review mm. has worked for me, but I will say yeah, this, a, yeah. a negative, a negative review has rarely impacted me. So yeah, it's rarely like put you off of a thing that you thought you wanted to, to be, consume anyway. To be honest, man, it might have the opposite effect. When somebody gets, when something gets tanked that bad, it actually piques my interest at that point. Like, I'm like, oh shoot, yeah. man, I don't know. Like, I want to, I want to hear this thing. I like, this guy hated it. I'm really curious. You know, yeah, and the, and the movie, the movie sort of leaned into the last gasp of reviewers mattering, right? Before Amazon just took over, and before reviews were just noise, or before reviews were just fake curated things that you ask all your friends for and they don't they don't matter. Um, yeah, so the 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 Oliver Platt character was sort of a hat tip to yeah. Jonathan Gold, who's like the greatest food reviewer of all time and really a good writer. Um, so if they were really going to homage Jonathan Gold, they, they didn't capture the good writing, but, um, but yeah, I, I guess I like the dynamic of Favs going at him on that level of, you know, I work hard, I work hard to make something I create and all you do is crap all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, like all, yeah. all you do is vomit all over things that people make. And I, that's that was fair. always, that's fair. especially like the young version of me, the young, like, I don't really know how the industry works and I'm just governed by my feelings version of myself. I definitely felt that way about critics. Like, like, what do you do? You know, what have you ever made? Right. Um, and, and so probably there's still some of that energy in there for me. So I, I find that, that scene where he confronts him, like they play it for comedy and it's over the top and it's ridiculous, but it's, it's still kind of a fun time. Uh, well, let's too, take a break. Baby. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to say one more thing on him. We come back. Yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah. I think I'm remembering, you know, I think that there's a kind of critic out there that deserves to be critiqued. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I think, I think there's, I think there's, um, there's moments where I think that can be fair. Um, and now I'm remembering, I'm remembering that reviewer on, on chef and, um, and he was just sort of inadvertently, he just kind of gave everything a bad review was like, was fabulous kind of, kind of opinion of him. So uh, like a true, a true critic, I mean, if you read a really if you if you read a review from somebody who is known as being like a really good reviewer, 
I mean, they're always yeah. they're going to give their opinion on things they don't care for. They're also going to say, but this was actually really good or this is a really strong point. I just or maybe yeah. I just wish they would have maybe leaned into this a little bit more or accentuated this a little bit more. Like, a, I think a fair review will will contain like, you know, all the different elements, you know, and I know. Yeah, yeah. Dude, you're absolutely right. And I think Jonathan Gold got there. I, t I taught some Jonathan Gold this this semester in an opinion writing class, and I really enjoyed reading his stuff. And it was clear to me, two things were foundational in his reviews. One, he loved food. Like, he really loved food more than he loved, I don't know, being clever or crapping all over somebody's work or whatever. But he also loved writing. So, like, he loved the craft of writing and he really loved food. And I, and I think those two things, whether he was reviewing, like, I don't know, some hotel bar in Chicago or some, you know, super effete hipster place in Brooklyn or whatever. Like he really, he kind of captured the spirit of places. And yeah, to your great point, I think there are multiple categories of reviewers, right? Yeah. And there, there are some that are just slash and burn guys. And then there are some that really care about the craft. And those are the ones that you want to listen to. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about my favorite food scene and chef. And then we'll talk... Mount Rushmore food movies right after this quick break. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once. All right, baby. After it all goes down, after he gets fired, so Carl Casper gets fired. Uh, he comes home. He's with the Scarlett Johansson character, which is a little crazy to me. Um, I don't know if you have thoughts on that. But uh, he's with Scarlett Johansson, and it's late at night, and he just makes her this very simple pasta dish. And then he plates it in a very specific way. That, that scene always drives me crazy with like <laughs> wanting that dish. Uh, they make it look so good. I love Fav's apartment in the movie. I don't know if you have Fav's apartment thoughts. Yeah, but it's I, like real. I'm trying to remember. Kind of industrial, kind of. So, like, the way the apartment's laid out, you come in and <laughs> it's like supposed to be sad, divorced guy's apartment, but it looks kind of cool. Like, there's a weight bench, like, where the living room should be. There's like a futon. And the whole thing is basically like an industrial kitchen. Yeah. Right. So, there's yeah. like this big kitchen and it's, it's all super functional, function over form. And he just makes her this amazing pasta dish in the middle of the night. And I like that vibe. I like the vibe of like 
food for food's sake. It doesn't have to be time for a meal. We're just doing this that's now. Right. And I'm going to make it amazing for you. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, yeah, and we're going to enjoy it together. I, I don't know. That that scene just like does some things for me. I, Your thoughts? I think, yeah, I, I think... Uh... I think Fav, I think he captures, this is what I would say, man. He captures sort of the heart behind um, sort of a non-snobby foodie culture, which is just, ooh, good. you know what I'm saying? Which is just, hey, dude, like there's a way to cook food right. And there's a way to use the right ingredients to do it in a way that's going to make it most delicious. But we also don't got to be uppity about it. Like, let's have a good time with it. Let's keep it, let's keep that part of it lowbrow, right? Yes. Yeah. No, that's huge, dude. And that actually is the perfect transition to the fourth movie on my food, Rushmore. I want to know if you've seen this. And if you haven't, I really want you to view it. And it's either on Netflix or HBO Max. It's on one of the two. It's called The Menu. Yeah. Have you seen The Menu? Um, I, gosh, I, I've, I have heard that name, but I don't think I've seen it. Okay, so it's brand new. Came out in 2022. It's billed as a horror comedy. But it's really more a, like a like a psychological make you think, but not make you think on a like a who did it level, but make you think on a implications of things level. Okay, I thought it was amazing. It stars Ray Fiennes as like a celebrity chef. So in the in the world building of the movie, he's like the most world renowned chef that there is, hmm. and he's become so famous that in order to eat his meals. It's like a several thousand dollars experience where you like take a boat out to like this deserted island where he lives and where his restaurant is. And, and it's this immersive experience. Okay. So right? it's uppity. Yeah. It's uppity. But in the world of the movie, he's become disgusted with that. Right. Oh, so he's okay. Okay. He's basically become so famous and so successful that he's priced himself into a, into a category where he now hates all the people who consume his food. So like if, if you're, if you're able to afford that kind of a dining experience, you're either so rich as to be disconnected from the reality of life itself, or you're one of these super effete, smug, like food snob aesthetic people and you're insufferable. So essentially what happens, and I'm going to give spoilers here, but you you sort of see this coming and it's not the point of the movie. He gets all these people out for a food experience and decides he wants to kill all of them. <laughs> but but and and himself, right? But he wants to kill all of them in a way that sort of exposes their besetting sins. Gotcha. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is a fascinating movie. That's funny. It has the girl it has the girl from The Queen's Gambit in it, Anya Taylor-Joy. Okay. I don't know if you watched The Queen's Gambit chess thing. Did you watch it? Couldn't get into it. I tried, yeah. Dude, I got into it, but only for the aesthetics. I thought every hotel room was the best hotel room I had ever seen. Well, I, gosh, uh, man, that makes me want to go see it now again. You should see it for that. View it through that lens. I don't know. And, and let me know if you have thoughts. Okay. But, uh, but anyway, this thing, the menu, KK and I watched it kind of on the whim because we were like, oh, new food movie. We'll check it out. And it it drew us in. It was delightful. It was dark. It was kind of sick and twisted, but not in like it wasn't gross out. Is it a right? movie? It or wasn't serious? about. It's a movie. It's okay. a one-off, like hour and forty-five minute thing. I don't think a lot of people have seen it. Yeah, it didn't go big. It, it's the kind of thing that doesn't get a big billing. Like was in it. Like was on. Like was yeah. great in it. 
Um, yeah, it's just a really fun, thoughtful. I thought it said some things, and I'd be interested to hear you on this both now and after you view the movie. I thought it said some interesting things about creative control, huh. and here's why. Okay. I have always sort of placed creative control on a high pedestal, i.e. I've probably idolized it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So especially, again, as in like the young version of myself as a writer, I was always like, oh, creative control. I got to have creative control. And I always positioned that as like the thing that would make me happy. But again, in the world, in the world building of the movie... Um, his character has all the creative control he could ever want or need. And he has all the budget he could ever want or need. But he's miserable, mm, right? Okay. So this is really like, it, it, again, viewing it through the Christian worldview, apart from Christ, you're going to be miserable, right? So all the money in the world, all the creative control all in the world. All the money. All the money, baby. All the creative control. Like, you're still going to be miserable, right? And I, I thought... Watching it at 47, I was like, I wish the 27-year-old version of myself could have seen this, <laughs> yeah, you know, because yeah. I think it would, have, it would have helped me understand some things about, um, I don't know, the, the idolatrous relationship that I had with creative control. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's funny because it's like, you know, all the, you know, all the money, all the creative control without Christ doesn't make you happy. It's just too bad we don't actually believe that's true. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so we, yeah. um, there's a part of us that goes, we, we know spiritually and we even know intellectually because our minds have been changed and formed by Christ that that's true. But there's also yeah. part of us that like in our own way, we're, we're always like, we're leaning into that pretty hard, you know, in our own, at our own level, in our own ways. But, um, yeah, but I, totally. but I do think that's like, I think too, as believers, like we detect that really quickly when we see that mm -hmm. it's interesting because that becomes our commentary for it when we're watching it, mm -hmm. which is like, mm -hmm. man, you're putting all of your eggs in this particular basket, but it's like a rotten yeah. basket. It's a basket that's going to collapse, you know, under its own weight. And, um, yes. and so we, we, we detect that really quickly and it becomes our commentary when we watch things. And yet like, I mean, we, we just struggle with it just as much as they do, don't we? You know what I mean? It's, oh, it's, absolutely. Yeah, and that's, that's what's fascinating to me uh, about those scenarios. You know, we just have different ways. We have probably, um, we have probably more subtle ways and, and obviously not so subtle ways of, of, um, of living that out. And, and probably in a way that we, we sort of design so that people can't see it as clearly, you know, in our lives, yeah. I would say. Yeah, or we only, we only really show it to a couple of people that's it like, right there yeah that's it right there yeah maybe maybe our wife and our agent you know like, like they hear about it but uh but otherwise people i, I mean you get adept at playing the game right yeah. you get adept at like i don't know in, in some ways just being an adult but but also in other ways just kind of giving people what they want in a certain moment but at the end of the day if you care about the craft whether it's writing or music or making food or whatever you have a vision for how you want to do it, right? And I think you and I, in our own spheres of life, we, I don't know, we, we admire the craftsmen, right? Yeah. But then getting older, I don't know, I, I, think, I think the greatest thing about getting older is, and Ray Fine's character goes through this in the movie, the greatest thing about getting older is you have a really clearer picture of the impact that the work is going to have. Right. And it's not some glum, fatalistic, this doesn't matter thing, but it kind of is in the sense that 
even if I write some great book, it's going to have like a three month shelf life. And then in three months, nobody's going to care about it because they will have moved on to something else. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's like, I still want to make a great book. You know what I mean? I still want the book to be awesome, but I don't have these, you know, outlandish fantasies about what it's going to do or not do. And I actually think that's a gift yeah. and it, and it can allow you to take an imperfect project. You know what I mean? You can, you can say yes to the project that's going to put food on your table or allow you to travel to a cool place and might otherwise just be stupid or banal or whatever, but you can, you can kind of say yes to it and you can go, it's an opportunity to write. It's an opportunity to provide. I'm not going to be like, weigh up my own backside over it artistically because that's insufferable in its own way. Um, I don't know. It's kind of freeing at some level. But I I, again, though, for me, and I think for you too, probably, like those things come with the gospel. Like those things come with walking closely with the Lord. I could have never gotten there on my own. You know what I mean? Yeah, no. And all that's a really good perspective, man. It's just, um, I think it's hard because there's... um, you know, you, you, you're serious about, you know, whatever your art is, writing, music, you know, whatever it is, like you're serious about it and you, you make it, if, if, you, if you have any intention on making it on a commercial level, which means, you know, you're working with either a record label or a book publisher because they are going to put time and money into it. They're going to promote it. Like, so there, there's, you know, there's a part of you that wants as many people as possible to enjoy the work, right? Because yeah. you're, that's why, yeah. that's partly why you're creating it is because you want an audience to gain some level of enjoyment on, on whatever mm-hmm. level from it. So yeah. I, I think what's hard is that you get to a place, hopefully, you know, you know, later in your life, if you're still creating things that you realize, look, I, I, I can't control that part of it. And I think that's yeah. one of the frustrating things about any artist is that I can't control like who uh, who is actually going to like uh, get a piece of this art and enjoy it. I can't control how many people are going to do it. And by the way, it, right. it never comes down to the quality of the, the project. That's never been the case. It comes down no, to no. all kinds of weird things and word of mouth and better distribution and yeah. um, just things hitting at a certain time. Um, right. And, 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 you know, uh, pe- other people that have a have a bigger influence in you grabbing a hold of things and them them yeah. telling people about it, which gains you a wider audience. There is literally yeah. a thousand and one things that can gain right. you a wider audience, and you literally have nothing to do with with almost any of it. And so you yeah. kind of just go, okay. So I guess at the end of the day, then um, as an artist, I'm just like every other artist. It's just some artists. They just, they step into those, uh, I'm going to use this word, even though I don't believe this, but they're going to step into sort of these dumb luck kind of situations and circumstances, which allowed their project to go wider than maybe one of my projects did. And I, there's just nothing I can do about that. So therefore it goes back to what you said, T like I make the work because I, I want to do it for myself. I think it's valuable as, as it's, as a work of, of art. And I don't want to be pretentious about it. I want to enjoy the process And if the Lord, if the Lord creates a wider audience for it, great. If he doesn't, great. But like, I don't, I just don't have any control over that. Yeah, no, that's, that's well said because I mean, if, if you and I had a nickel for every sort of bitter artist we've encountered in middle age, you know, and, and to be fair, I ran the risk of becoming that person, but for the Lord, like, I mean, the, the, the streets are lined with people like that, you know, like, uh, musicians, writers, whatever. And, and you gotta, 
you know, I want to live in a world where even if I'm not rich and famous, I still really enjoy doing the work. Yeah, 100%. You know? Yep. Um, if, I came, if I came to a place later in life where I hated writing, gosh, that'd be tragic. You know, well, <laughs> that, yeah, that just would be it's, it's, really sad. It's sad. And what's so funny about it, too, is that, you know, we all aspire to be what we all aspire to the 1%. The one percent, yeah. the magic one percent of, of artists who gain a platform that like gave them, a, you know, a lifestyle and an income that is far beyond yeah. anything you know we will ever experience. And so it's like, dude, yeah. there's a reason why only one percent like get to that place because it's it's rarefied yeah, error. Right. And I yeah. mean, so it's like, so I'm I hate that I hate that I'm so average that I couldn't. Yeah. That I'm, I hate that I'm so average. Number one and number two, the breaks didn't come my way to where I gained millions and millions and millions of uh yeah. of, of fans but at the same time it's like well i'm also a believer which means there's a reason why the lord said yeah i'm not gonna have that for you that's not for you so yeah i mean it, he probably knew what it would do to us 100%. you know yeah. and it, it would have turned us into monsters i'm sure yeah 100 uh if even if not in over the top obvious ways and like very subtle ways mm-hmm. it would have yeah and as it does for most people yeah for sure um Baby, we are going to have to worry about that just because of the the money and the fame and the decadence that this program brings us. I mean, hundred um, percent. That's not even. It's time to. Be you know, it's not even. Yeah, not we're we're, we're we're talking like this is theoretical. This it's is not theoretical. It's hundred percent true. It's just we're just waiting yeah. for the moment. Yeah, dude. You know what? Can I share a petty like catty thing and then and then I'm going to wrap the show because we've already gone way. Too we're getting long. time and a half right now. Way too we've long. we've gone ten minutes longer than we intended to. Yeah, share it. Um. I never drop in the third ad break mm. and I do it just to kind of um, poke at uh, our, the media conglomerate that we're signed to. Yeah. Um, I didn't know we were supposed I, to have three ad breaks. So now you're, we are dude. And I do it as kind of a commentary, All right. you know, um, it feels good to get that off my chest, but mm. uh, listeners, you, you will get a third ad break at some point and they'll just drop it right in there. You'll be listening like mid sentence. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. You know, we'll be sharing our hearts with you and you'll get an ad for like 
um, I don't know, HelloFresh or whatever, but... Um, oh, man, I love that. I, can we ask Barnabas to title this episode The Third Ad Break? The Third Ad Break, dude. I love it. Yeah, because we're, we're coming clean about some things right now. Yeah. Uh, vis-a-vis how we do business here at just The Happy be, Just being maybe, honest. That's right. Yeah, just being honest, just being vulnerable, just opening up the old heart a little bit. You know, you've, you've seen behind the curtain this morning, listeners. Uh, thank you for listening, as always. We have done what we always do. And until next time. We want to take a moment to thank the team at Life Audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name's Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.